Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 432 for April 1st, 2016. And we are in episode 12 of Programming by Stealth with Bart Boo Shots. And today you said we get to play with JavaScript. Did, were you teasing me or is it true? No, it's actually, it's actually true. Yeah, um, I gave... I gave a small amount of thought to sort of saying to you, why don't we cancel the show and repeat the show I gave to the Connecticut Mac users group? But I thought we can keep that for another time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be a, that would actually be a really good one. But uh, we need to stay on target here because you did promise it to us. And it would be a horrible April Fool's joke if you'd done that. that <laughs> part of me was having to say, actually, no, I've decided not to do JavaScript. We're going to do um, assembly language. <laughs> that, that would just be that would be too cruel. For a start, I'd have to go learn assembly language. <laughs> I, I knew enough of it to pass, to pass an exam back in second or third year of college, and I never, ever, 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 ever want to see it again. <laughs> ever. All right. Well, what are okay. we going to do? Okay, so we, ha- we now know how to structure a page with HTML. We know how to style a page with CSS. And so the next step we would like to get to is the ability to make the page do things. And the way you add activity and interactivity and stuff happening, dynamism, to a web page is with JavaScript. But there's two distinct parts to being able to do that. So being able to make a web page do something, like, for example, the XKPassWD web interface. It has lots of expandy, clicky, hidey things to let you <laughs> get your presets set up. That's dynamism, and that's all done with JavaScript. But the two parts are you got to know JavaScript and you got to know how the browser can hook JavaScript. So the, the browser has a whole model around how it interacts, or how it can be made do things. And so that's something called the document object model and an event model. Hmm. And trying to teach you what JavaScript is and how to tie it into the browser at the same time Sounds like a recipe for disaster. It sounds like, you know, it sounds like it would be like a second one of that box model episode. I don't think it would go well. (laughs) Thank you. So I've decided to break break it into two bite-sized pieces. So first we're going to learn JavaScript, enough of it to to get us, you know, underway. And then we'll make the transition into the browser. But how do we run JavaScript if we don't yet know how to make it go in a browser? Well, to that end, I have created a little playground for us, like, again, similar to what we did back with the box model. So this JavaScript playground is just something that I've created so that we can play with JavaScript in the abstract. Okay. And Without anything hurting anything. That I have, yeah, anything that I have invented, I have prefixed with the letters PBS so that you don't think it's a standard Java feature or JavaScript feature, so that you realize that it's part of the little playground I've made. Okay. So whenever you see PBS dot something, it's not real JavaScript. It's part of the playground. <laughs> it's Bert's imagination. Before you go yeah. too far, I do want to make sure people understand that JavaScript and Java have nothing to do with each other. That is indeed correct. Okay. So the, the first thing I have in the show notes is a little history and context. So oh, good. JavaScript is the brainchild of the people over at Netscape. And its first version was released in 1995, which is a long time ago now, 21 years ago as we record this. And around about that time, the great big buzzword du jour was Java, which was brand new and very shiny. It was going to be the coolest thing ever. They, we really thought it was, and maybe it could have been if some microsystems hadn't have blown up. Maybe. Not entirely convinced, but maybe. Uh, and Java was all about the web. And, well, Netscape was kind of all about the web. So the Netscape guys, for as best as I can figure out, just decided to cash in on the hype. Yeah, oh yeah it's like Java, but it's a scripting language. 
Hmm. Nothing like that. Oh, so they but just took the word and shoved it in there? They basically took the word and shoved it in there because actually ah. JavaScript is based on the C syntax, not the Java syntax. Now, Java is also based on C, but they're not based on the same. They're not the same. You know, two things that are derived from the same parent are not the same as each other. So this is this is sort of like like the uh, the nasty brother-in-law you can't get rid of that has your same last name that you accidentally brought into the family and now you can't get rid of him. So you're going, no, no, it's not me. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's basically it's I'm sure it was very clever from a marketing point of view for the Netscape guys. But from a user understanding point of view, it's been a disaster because yeah. people mix the two up all the time and it's entirely understandable. So JavaScript, not Java. And that's what we're going to learn. Yay. Uh, JavaScript, in its original form, was a by-the-book interpreted language. So you would write some code and you would run it. And there were no steps in between. Uh, so just to, sort of for context, so an, an interpreted language is the code you, the human, write is read by the, by the computer and executed without anything in between. So a shell script is an interpreted language. And JavaScript was the same. So it was all nice and simple, fit into the categories nicely. Well, now it's sort of stuck between two pigeonholes. And the reason for this is because browsers have wanted to optimize JavaScript. Because if JavaScript is slow, then your browser feels sluggish. So they want JavaScript to be lightning fast. So what they'd really like is for JavaScript to be compiled code. But I can't put compiled code on my web page because you might have a Mac and I might have a PC and someone else will have a Linux computer. So we couldn't really use compiled code that way. It would, it would be a disaster. So what they've done is they've tried to have their cake and eat it. So they do something called just-in-time compilation, which means that just before your JavaScript executes in the browser, it gets compiled into the appropriate bytecode for the computer it's running on, and then the browser can execute really efficient bytecode instead of doing all this interpreting stuff. So technically, oh. JavaScript is actually compiled these days. <laughs> but from the point of view of us, the programmer, it behaves exactly like it used to. So as far as we're concerned, it's still a scripting language. So we could have a great big argument about which box to put it into. I'm just saying they've smashed the boundary between the boxes and it's sort of stuffed between two boxes. Is that the best of both worlds? Just or the least bad of both worlds? Well, I think it's worked pretty well because there was a time when the thoughts of a JavaScript game was ridiculous because JavaScript was so sluggish. Oh, and those okay. days are gone. Right? We now have JavaScript games and HTML5 is a viable competitor to Flash. And that is in large part because of how much the browser vendors have put into optimizing JavaScript. And this whole just-in-time compilation trick, that's a big part of that. So if we've got JavaScript, we're going to learn JavaScript, and JavaScript's the coolest thing in the whole world, and it's going to be mm -hmm. awesome. Didn't you many, many years ago teach us about a plugin called NoScript that you run so that you can't see JavaScript on web pages? Yeah, but... Don't confuse not wanting something to happen all the time with not wanting something to happen. So now at this stage, NoScript has become a little bit more impractical than it used to be. Not, it's not completely worthless, but it's become a, a tool for propeller-beating people. Okay. Um, so Because it would block too much of the web? Yeah. So if you're okay. using a web app, you obviously want JavaScript on. But do you necessarily want JavaScript doing th you know, If you're on a page where the only thing that's doing anything is the ads, do you really want them running JavaScript? Because that means they have the power to go fetch stuff from other servers. It, it was particular, actually, to be honest, if you what the reason JavaScript was dangerous was because JavaScript allowed websites that didn't seem to contain Flash to go and sneak some Flash in behind your back. And so they sort of acted as a vector to get at the stuff that was really buggy that was causing the actual security problems. 
So if you don't have Flash and Silverlight and all of those truly dangerous things, then the JavaScript becomes a lot less dangerous because it can't be used to go and invoke some Flash, which is really what the risk was. Okay. Am I making sense? Well, yeah, so JavaScript- yeah. No, no, that does I'm glad I asked the question because I've always felt like if I were a true nerd, I would be running JavaScript, but it was really, I mean, no script, but it was really hard. So I'm glad to know that I don't have to worry about that. No, there's there's be- there's better, less nerdy tools for achieving similar ends these well, days. Like regular um, ad blockers. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess a lot of them do come down to being ad blockers. But I've I've never I've never liked the concept of blocking Content ads. Blockers. I, I, yeah, I, exactly. I, I prefer the concept of saying that domains I'm not directly visiting don't get the script, or mm. I just don't want Flash running. Yeah, yeah. So I, I prefer that kind of control, and that has a side effect of cutting out the most annoying ads doesn't cut out ads because basic ads are still basic ads, but it cuts out the flashy, bouncy, bopping all around <laughs> the screen rubbish. Right. right. So, so I kind of go with it from that point of view. But anyway, that's, that's a completely... So yeah, I didn't want to take you too far afield, but I'm glad we got into that. So JavaScript yeah. is good. JavaScript is good. So JavaScript... And I want to whet your appetite a bit more for JavaScript. So it was born in the browser, but that was 21 years ago. It hasn't... It is still there, and it's a very important part of the browser, but it has also spread its wings and moved outside the browser. So when you learn JavaScript, you're learning skills that are not just in the browser. They're in other places. They're useful in other places, too. So one of the features in... I think it was the version of OS X before last that Apple announced was that you can now use JavaScript to script OS X. So you could write in JavaScript or in JavaScript or in Perl or in Python or lots of things you can script OS X in. But one of those things is now JavaScript. So if I learn JavaScript and I've already learned how to use Automator, I could use JavaScript to run scripts inside Automator? I think Automator now has a JavaScript to that. Let me double check that. OS X at its at its core certainly has JavaScript support now. Um, and new document Sorry. in Automator. Nothing like flying by the seat of your pants. <laughs> uh, let's make a workflow. That'll do. So search for... Come on, computer, don't get slow on me now. So we will search for script. Run JavaScript is indeed a block in cool. Automator. Now. So you have run Apple script, run JavaScript, and run shell script. Nice. You also have a do JavaScript, which seems to come from Acorn. So I think Acorn <laughs> is now scriptable in JavaScript. Oh, cool. Yeah, Acorn is scriptable in JavaScript. Cool. So that brings us to the other thing JavaScript has gone to, which is apps can also embed JavaScript as a way to add scripting into themselves. Oh. So one of our favorites is Text Expander. And Text Expander has the ability to execute JavaScripts. So instead of your replacement being the text you typed, your replacement would be the result of running the JavaScript you type. So we did a similar trick using Perl to do our cool link shortener. Right. But instead of writing in Perl, we could have written in JavaScript. Ooh. So I really get the sense of this programming by stealth now of how you snuck this in on me. It's really, uh, it's becoming apparent. I like it. Yeah, the, the stealth is falling away now. Uh, JavaScript is also used in a whole bunch of cross-platform development platforms, for, for want of a less confusing term, uh, for mobile apps that will work on any, uh, on any smartphone because all smartphones have the ability to do webby stuff. So if you embed something called a web view into your app, well, then you can script that in JavaScript and it'll run on any flavor of anything, really. So, you know, apart from an old Nokia or something. So there are there are platforms for developing cross-platform apps for mobile devices that use JavaScript. And there are even server-side apps for writing web services in JavaScript through something called Node.js. So JavaScript is just, it really has blossomed out from the browser. 
And one other thing we should say is, well, we it, it was christened JavaScript on day one, and that name has stuck. That name has stuck like glue, and it's not going to go away. But it's actually not the official name of the language at all. Hmm. The language we're actually programming is ECMA script. Huh. And okay. to be really specific, we're programming in ECMA script 5. <laughs> okay. But if we say that, no one will know what we're talking about. No one knows what you're talking about. So JavaScript is what we call it, but it is actually ECMA script. And ECMA, ECMA basically provide the formal standard. And so browsers implement that standard. Text Expander implements that standard. Anyone who tries to use JavaScript needs to implement the ECMA standard. And then you have a standard version of JavaScript. So that's why the evil days of web compatibility have gotten so much better because it used to be that Microsoft had their own JavaScript-like thing, which they called JScript, and it followed their specification. And then Netscape obviously invented JavaScript, so Netscape was called JavaScript. And then Firefox is the descendant of Netscape, so Firefox used real JavaScript, but Internet Explorer continued to use JScript, and it was all horrible and messy. (laughs) But ECMA have now set the rules, and all the browsers, be it Safari, Opera, Chrome, Firefox, they all now use the ECMA standard. So that's why JavaScript is JavaScript is JavaScript. And, and why it's it is becoming more and more useful. And why it's becoming more and more useful, exactly. If you so can count ECMA, on well, and what's funny is the tagline for Java was write once, run anywhere. Yeah, but, JavaScript. And now JavaScript has, has gained that. It certainly has, yeah. Okay. Uh, so ECMA script 6, that spec was actually released last May, but it doesn't have widespread browser support yet. So that's why we're using ECMA script 5. Okay. Because that is what is in our browsers. Therefore, that is what we will use in this series. And ECMA 6 is a superset of 5. So nothing we learn now becomes untrue. Okay. It's just that there will be more features coming in the future. Okay, cool. Okay, so basically now is a good time to learn JavaScript. Yay! So we're going to play around in our playground. So let's introduce you to the playground. That's probably the first thing to do. So... The playground is entirely, in a very cyclical and self-referential way, it is entirely written in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. (laughs) So we're going to learn JavaScript in something that was written in JavaScript. Oh, let me stop everybody for a second. Uh, We always end up saying this later, but I think it's good to say at the beginning, is there are downloadable files in Bart's show notes where you can can download this uh, JavaScript playground and, and run it yourself. Yes, so you have two choices. So... You can either download it and stick it into your own local web server and run it from there. Or in this case, I've actually popped a copy onto my server. So there's also a link in the show notes where you can run it from my server. You can also just double click the HTML and it'll open in your browser and run locally, right? It may not work properly when the pop-up window comes up. Oh, okay. That may, Safari may not allow the pop-up window to talk to the parent window, which would break everything. Okay. So this is why I've been telling you that it's not a good idea to double-click the HTML files. That's right. You keep telling me that. I do keep telling you because when you do that, it comes up in Safari if you view the URL as file colon slash slash instead of HTTP colon slash slash. And that changes how the browser treats the security of the page. And I believe Safari is... Actually, Safari might be more permissive. Chrome is very restrictive on file colon slash slash URLs. I will not let a file colon slash slash URL talk to a pop-up that's also a file colon slash slash URL, which means it will completely break the playground. Wow. Okay. So it'll definitely work for my site because that's HTTPS. All right. Okay. So anyway, so the first thing you have is some instructions. And then you have a heading called Your Code. And in there is, by default... Hello, world. 
Now, that is an editable text area. So you can click your mouse in there and click enter, and you will see that you can create as many lines as you want. It'll continue to grow. Eventually, it will develop a scroll bar, I think. Or did I decide I didn't want a scroll bar? I can't remember what I decided on that. <laughs> okay, I'm on line 67 and there's no scroll bar. I think I decided I didn't want a scroll bar. Okay. Uh, but anyway, you can keep adding as many lines as you like. And what you will notice is that you have syntax highlighting in there. Which is thanks to a free and open source JavaScript library, whose name I better get right if I'm going to give them credit, um, called Code Mirror. So that's a library I am, just... Am I supposed to be looking at the code right now? Or just looking at the playground? Well, you can look at the playground. So okay. basically, you can hit enter and you get more space. That is, your, that is where you type. That is, that gotcha. is all I really need to okay. say. That is where you will be inputting stuff. Okay. We're not going to use it today, but underneath it, we have three text boxes where we can pass some, very, some values, basically, into our code that we can then edit with. So as I will use that next week. Yeah, we're not going to play with that today. We're going to keep things simple for today. And then, so the default already is a valid Hello World. So let's just click Run, and that will create a pop-up window with the output of our little program, which is not spectacularly exciting. It says Hello World. Oh, well, there. I, I didn't see the Run goes. button. Look at that. Hello so world. The, the key takeaway is that what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be writing code and running it to see what it does. And that's going to be our basic model. So that's how we get to play with JavaScript in the abstract. Okay. Okay. So that that's we'll leave it there for now, and we we'll, we will we will be regularly popping in. So we've done our hello world. The first thing to say is, remember, I was saying that the anything that starts with pbs dot is part of the playground. So the standard JavaScript function for printing stuff is not pbs dot say. That's entirely something of my invention for the playground, because in actual fact, there's no concept of printing to a browser window. Ah, okay. One of the reasons why we need a playground, because actually what we would need to do is manipulate the DOM. And we don't know what a DOM is or how to manipulate it. That's why <laughs> right. this wouldn't work. Okay, so we've done our Hello World. Therefore, we are now free to move on, because that's the tradition in programming. You have to start you with Hello to, World. If you don't do it, it just doesn't count. Exactly. Okay, so let's look at some basics of the language. So what we have there, our Hello World program, is a one-statement Java program. And the reason I know that is because it contains one semicolon. The semicolon is what ends a statement in JavaScript. So a statement is a thing. Do this. Okay. And they end in semicolons. You can also group statements together using open curly braces and closed curly braces. And those are called code blocks. And those can have multiple statements inside them? They can have multiple statements inside them. And they will continue to be part of that block until they meet their closing counterpart. And you okay. can nest them into each other. So you can have a code block that contains a code block that contains a code block. The important thing about code blocks is whenever the JavaScript specification says this followed by a statement, you can replace a statement with a code block. So a code block is a way of having multiple statements go into one. So again, we'll see this with actual examples and it'll make perfect sense as we go through the series. But basically, a code block is a way of grouping a bunch of code together so it becomes one thing. You sort of group it together and say, you know, for example, we'll learn next week, if this condition then do this one thing, well, maybe you want to do more than one thing. How do we do more than one thing? Well, we group them together with our curly braces. Okay. So that's what they're for. They're for grouping things together. I so have not lost yet. Okay. I say we're, we're very, very high level here. The other thing I think everyone should always know about from day one is how to put in a comment. JavaScript is generous in giving us two options, and you're free to use either or both. 
I actually hate that. <laughs> I know, because it means that people write code that doesn't look like the way you want it to look. Well, or I sit down, I go, hmm, I don't remember which way to do it. And it's because they both work. Well, okay, yeah. So you have what is called commonly the single-line comment syntax and the multi-line comment syntax, but the multi-line comments can go on a single line if you like, just to confuse the pants off you more. <laughs> so a single-line comment starts with the characters forward slash forward slash, so slash slash. And what that means is that everything from the first of those slashes to the end of the line is a comment. Okay, so you, so can you could do them. it without closing the comment? There is, yeah, there is no concept of closure on a single line comment. It's basically everything from the slash slash to the end of the line is a comment. Okay. That's why it's called a single line comment because it extends to the end of the line and after that it's done. You can't make a single line comment go over multiple lines. Okay. As its name suggests. The other type is the multi-line comment, which is slash star starts the comment and star slash ends the comment, which should look familiar to you because that's how you comment in CSS. Oh, that's where I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's also a so-called C-style comment because that's how the C programming language did comments. So slash star star slash. And you can have slash star, a line of text, a blank line, another line of text. You can have a whole essay. You can write collected works of Shakespeare in there and then star slash. And all of that will be a comment. That's why it's called a multi-line comment. Didn't you say that the single line comment method, the slash slash, uh, can go over multiple lines? No, it's the multi-line can go over a single line. Ah, good, good. Okay, that makes me feel a little better. Well, that makes sense. So if you look on line five of our example, we have a single line comment, a multi-line comment over a single line. So it says pbs.say who? And it it says this is a multi-line comment on a single line because it has its star slash and its slash star on the same line. Okay. I have no idea why you'd want to do that, but you see people do it. Well, maybe you just want to remember one way to do the darn thing. Yeah, slash slash. That's my part. <laughs> slash slash. That's, that's, I just do that. Because if you want a multi-line comment with slash slash, just start the next line with slash slash too, and it's fine. And actually, sometimes that makes it look good, like it's blocked off real dramatically that you see all these double slashes. Yeah, if you're using a coding editor, the color coding will tell you it's a comment. But if you're programming in a plain text editor, then the multi-line comment can actually involve a lot of brain work because you have to mentally remember that this is all still a comment. Go find the close. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what I will say, this is the perfect time to inject this. So pick a style and just stick to it. Hmm. doesn't really, it's, I would say that don't be completely stupid and do something that's utterly unhuman friendly. But the most important thing isn't that you do it exactly the way everyone else, that someone else does, because everyone does it differently anyway. But the single most important thing is consistency so that you can look at your own code and not get lost. <laughs> and that's, mildly important with comments, very mildly important with comments. But everything else we learn throughout this series, you're going to have to decide how you indent your code. You're going to have to decide where the curly brackets go on the same line as what they refer to, below what they refer to. It's, you know, you have all these options. And the most important thing, the point I want to drive home is consistency, right? Pick a style that works for you, that looks logical and sensible and that your brain likes, and stick to it. Don't do half your code in one style and half your code in another style. Right. And uh, and if we're just talking about comments, the the superseding comment above everything you've said is do comments. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. They are little presents for your future self. 
<laughs> you know, it, it gets in line with one of the things I love about doing the uh, the blog is that I can't tell you how many times I'm going, I wonder how you do this. And I put it in a search term and Google says, yeah, you did a blog post on it, you moron. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> And also, of course, when you're looking at the various examples we've done in, in, in this whole PBS series, you've enjoyed the fact that I heavily comment my CSS. Oh, I sure have. And I think I've mentioned this before, but the story is just too good to not keep telling is I had a guy who worked for me who was um, he was Vietnamese and he thought that if he made his comments in Vietnamese, it would give him job security. Hmm. Yeah, it turned out we were a multicultural. <laughs> exactly, we were a multicultural organization, and that did not slow us down a little bit when we fired him. <laughs> yeah, that's a <laughs> what a pain in the butt that guy was. He didn't want anyone to understand his code. See, bye bye. Yeah. Okay, a person like that might be able to make money as a single developer. A person like that has no place in a team. Yeah, because that's not team playing. Yeah, actually, like I've over my time as a programmer of various ilks and descriptions. I've had to manage a few projects. And do you know what the single most challenging meeting is? Hmm. It's the meeting where you lay down the law and you tell people the style for the project because you cannot have three, four, or five developers working on the same piece of software using different coding oh, styles. And everybody has chosen their own. Correct. Everyone has chosen their own, which means that I then have to come in and say, I don't care what you want to do. We are going to do the K&R style of commenting. K&R, by the way, is is my preferred choice. Maybe I should uh, do it called, the way you do it, just so you won't yell at me if we work on something together someday. Oh, no, do, do, do whatever you like. But just to say that all of the examples you're going to see in this entire series are done in a, a, a slight variant of what's known as K&R, which is called after two people called Kernigan and Ritchie, who are like patron saints of computer science because they wrote probably the single most important programming book ever written in the history of humanity called... The C programming language by Kernigan and Ritchie. <laughs> okay. Known universally to computer science as the KNR book. Okay. That's all you have to say. The KNR book. And I have two copies of it. I don't know why I have two, but I do. Everyone has at least one copy of the KNR book. It's it, it is a, a Bible. It's like, you know, Darwin's The Origin of Species. And they picked a particular style, and that's one I like. So I write in KNR style, but they put in a few extra spaces, so I kinda use what's called it's a wonderful technical term. I cuddle. I have a cuddled K&R style. <laughs> I think you've mentioned cuddling before. That's where you squash your brackets up against things. Yeah. So, again, it'll become more obvious next week when we start to look at more complicated statements. But basically, some people would put a space and then the opening curly bracket. We're all just lob the curly bracket straight against the if statement or whatever it's referring to. Okay. But anyway, the key point I want to drive home. Well, two key points. So... Computer scientists, if you put three of them in a room, will give you five opinions on the right way to format code. <laughs> right? They will. And it doesn't really matter as long as you're bloody well consistent, as long as you're using a style that makes sense to your brain. So, uh, yeah, it's just it's all about what works for you. And myself and my darling beloved, we do not agree at all whatsoever on how one should lay out JavaScript code. <laughs> Which means I hate reading his code and he hates reading my code. But point is, we're consistent. <laughs> what happens when nerds marry? Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. So let's get let's get it a little bit more real here. So the first, what I want to do during this playground phase is I want to teach you the building blocks of JavaScript. So the fundamental concepts, and in fact, they're not even fundamental concepts of JavaScript. They're more important than that. They're the fundamental concepts of programming, not programming JavaScript, programming. Okay. And the first of those fundamental concepts is the concept of a variable. 
there is not a programming language in existence that doesn't have variables because without them, you can't do anything of any value. A variable is a named place to hold something. That is all it is. It is nothing more complicated. You give it a name and you give it a value. And that value can be changed to something else as you go through the code. And that value can be read back by referencing it by name. So it's kind of like saying let x equals 5 and then later being able to say print x. <laughs> That's exactly what I was just thinking. It's just, well, it's even just like math, right? A plus B equals 7 and A equals 4 yeah. and B equals 3. Yeah, although in computer science, you definitely want to do the assignment first before you try to <laughs> work out the answer. Well, yeah. Okay, so a name and a value. That's all a variable is, a name and a value. Now, different programming languages have different rules for these things. So some programming languages have a very rigid definition of type. So in C, for example, you can't say, give me a variable called X. That is insufficient data. Hmm. In C, you would have to say, give me an integer variable called X, or give me a string variable called X. Although, when, yeah, we won't go into the subtleties of that one. Um, so in C, you have to say what it is and what its name is and what its value is. But JavaScript is one of those lovely languages called untyped languages where a variable just holds stuff. Oh, and good. it doesn't really... Yeah, so you don't have with to that say, part. Hmm? Fortran, I had a lot of trouble with that part. So back in 1867. Do bear in mind that there are swings and roundabouts here. So on the one hand, the fact that JavaScript is untyped means that when you're creating a variable, you don't care. You just give it a name and you shove something into it and all is well. But it does have some implications where every now and then JavaScript will do something that it thinks makes sense and will make your head explode. Because <laughs> it's making an assumption. It has to make assumptions because actually JavaScript isn't magic. It's still saving all of the information you put into it as ones and zeros which means it has to format them in some sort of way, which means that actually, deep down, it does have types. It must have types. How else can it know that something is a number or a string or whatever? So it does implicit typing. So what it does is you give it a value and it goes, oh, I recognize that, that's a string. I'll, I'll make you a string. And then when you try to manipulate two variables, you try to mush them together, multiply them, add them, do something to them, in some way manipulate them. It then has to start going, ah, so you're a string, and you're a boolean, and I've just been asked to add you. Hmm, what will I do here? Well, I can't convert a string to a number, but I can convert a boolean to a string, so why don't I just stick the two strings back to back? But it's doing this kind of implicit conversion. And the programmers were pretty clever, so 99% of the time... JavaScript will do what you think is sane and sensible. But every now and then, you'll bump into a situation where what you actually wanted to do was add things together, and what JavaScript will do is will stick one after the other and give you back a string. And you're like, no, I didn't <laughs> want a string. I wanted these added together. Or, I didn't want these added together. I wanted you to stick one after the other. So there are swings and roundabouts, right? So yeah, on the one hand, on the way in, this is superbly easy. I give you a name, I give you a value, I am done. Great. But when you try to get the values back out, do bear in mind that sometimes JavaScript is going to try to be helpful and get it wrong. So that, that's one thing to bear in mind. As I say, we'll look at this in more detail in a minute. So as you've probably come to expect by now, there are rules about how you name variables. The real rules are really complicated because JavaScript is fully um, Unicode aware, which means you could, in theory, call a variable smiley face. As in, you can call the variable the emoji smiley face. Pig face. Or pig face, or little pig. <laughs> Any emoji you like. 
and you can call variables with accented characters, and you can do all sorts of weird and wonderful things. But that actually means that the specification is full of Unicode jargon, like non non separating separator characters and all these kind of weird. That's one I made up, but they're almost as off the wall as that. So I decided I'm not going to give you the real spec because I would spend the entire segment explaining Unicode. So I'm going to give you three rules. And those three rules will mean that all of your variables are valid. However, there are going to be valid variable names that don't meet these three rules, if you get what I mean. So basically, these three rules will give you a subset of everything that's allowed. Well, we had a slight audio interruption there. We're going to try to pick up where we left off. I think, Bart, I was challenging your uh, three rules, uh, whether I can disobey these or not. Yeah, so just to be clear, right? So if you break these rules... Even one of them, you're guaranteed that your variable will be invalid. It will be wrong JavaScript. You'll get a giant big error instead of what you wanted. So if you break these rules, you're guaranteed to be wrong. If you follow these rules, you're guaranteed to be right. However, there are things which... I have to say, yeah. (laughs) You can can break more things that would also break it. Yeah, because actually, no, it's not true. You can break break rule one... (laughs) By using a smiley face or a poopy icon or something, but you can't break the other two. <laughs> if you okay, basically, if you stick to this rule, every variable you have will be valid and legal. But there are variables that this rule will say is illegal that are actually okay. Okay, but let's just follow the rules. I'm a rule yeah. follower. Yeah, the, these these will steer you right. So rule one is very simple. The first character must be a letter, a dollar symbol, or an underscore. Rule two. The remainder of the name can contain all those same symbols as well as digits. So you'll notice digits are not allowed as the first letter. So you can't have a variable starting in three. Huh. But you can have M3. You can't have three. Because if it starts with three, it looks like a number. So I could start a uh, variable, all my variables with dollar symbols, but then I could have the, the variable be the word Microsoft with a dollar symbol for the S? You could do both, yeah. Both of those are fine because dollar is allowed to be your first symbol and it's allowed to be anywhere in the thing. It's just okay. you can't have, a, can't have a digit first. And a digit includes like period and comma? No, a digit, okay, you can never have digits. You can never have periods or commas, right? They're not. Oh, okay. Right? So it's letters, dollar signs, underscores are okay for the first letter. All those are okay for every other letter as well as digits. Okay, and digits means zero through nine. Digits exactly mean zero through nine. Thank you. Okay, didn't get that. All right. Okay, so no minus signs, no commas, no periods, because they all have meanings in JavaScript. Ah. So if you stick a minus sign in the middle of your variable name, it actually looks like you're trying to subtract one variable from another variable. Ah, okay. Which would not be good. A period also has a meaning, but it's not one we're going to talk about today. Uh, And the other last caveat is that you can't use a list of words that have been officially reserved. So there's a link in the show notes to the list of reserved words. And what this means is that these words either have a meaning in JavaScript or they've been put aside because they might be needed for a feature in future versions of JavaScript. So they are officially oh. verboten. You are not allowed to use these. Interesting. Have... I just want to look like VAR. You might want to call your variable var, but don't. Right. Do not do so because as we're going to discover within the next five minutes, var has a very important meaning. Okay. Okay. Var is how you declare a variable. Oh, man, there's a lot of stuff you can't use, like array. Wow, you really better pay attention to this. You really better pay attention to this. Now, you don't have to pay as much attention if you use a code editor, because a code editor will highlight keywords. 
Oh. So if you go to name a variable and it changes to the wrong color, you're like, oh, that means something else. Oh, good, good. So as I say, most of them are Englishy words, you know, like bite and break and boolean and abstract and else and if and those kind of things. But there are some of there that may catch you out, I guess. Okay, but just use like it, array, I guess. Yeah, just use an editor. Well, it's oddly it's capital array. Maybe lowercase yes. array is okay, but don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, there is a good point. I need. To, I should edit my show notes just to highlight the point. I didn't say it explicitly, but JavaScript variable names are case sensitive. Okay. So A is not the same as A. <laughs> Yeah, I know the show's going along, but we're having fun doing it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, you should always declare your variable before you use it. It is technically allowed that you not do so. But, 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 not doing so opens you up to a class of bug that is the most subtle and the most head explodey type of bug you can run into in JavaScript that will take you hours upon hours to track down. Reality will appear not to make sense and your head will explode. You sold me. (laughs) Yeah. So get into the habit now of always declaring your variables. It will, A, it's best practice. Yeah. A, it's best practice. And B, it will save your sanity in the future. I promise. So... We declare a variable with a keyword var. We say var space, the name of the variable we'd like to declare. And we can stop there if we like. We can just say var x semicolon. We have now declared that we're going to use x. We haven't given it a value yet, but we oh. have declared our intention to use it. Oh, you simply declared it. You can declare it as a variable without putting anything into it to start. You can if you like. Generally speaking, 99% of the time you won't do that because you probably want some sort of idea of what you're doing with it. So the more common form is where you'd say var some name equals some value. So var y equals four is a much more sane and sensible way to go. Hmm. Okay. So anywhere you can use a value, you can use a variable. So our little pbs.say function that's part of the playground expects a value and it will print out that value. So we can have the very boring two-line program var space x space equals space 100 semicolon. Next line, pbs.say x semicolon. Ooh. So if we copy and paste that in, it should say 100 when we run it. I'm going to type it from scratch. I always like to type from scratch because A, it creates typos that confuse you when I tell you your program didn't work. Um, (laughs) that's just the side bonus. But the other thing is I think it helps cement it better if I drive a little bit instead of copying and pasting. But I didn't screw it up. It says, hello world 100. Ah, so you didn't delete the line above. No, because I was afraid to. No, no, no. That code area is free to play with. By all means, click command A backspace before you start. I did it. Look at that. Okay, now, here's again where we got to talk about style. So it is perfectly legal for the equal sign not to be spaced around. So if you take that line and you say var x and then immediately have equals and immediately have 100, it will still work. Oh, so this is your style. This is down to style. Now, that is, I would call that over cuddling. So I like to cuddle things, but not that much, because if you cuddle your operators, it looks really confusing to me. That looks like you're declaring a variable called x equals 100. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so cuddling in moderation is good, yeah. <laughs> so again, that's a style choice to have that space there around the equal sign. It's not mandatory, but I really would encourage you to get into the habit of spacing out your operators. 
So equals is an operator, and we're going to learn about a few more of those very shortly. Okay. So what I now want to tell you about is, I've already hinted that this is the case, so that you don't have to say what type of variable x is. So x can hold a number one minute, a string the next minute, a boolean the next minute, then a number again, maybe another boolean, then another string. So the variable x doesn't have a type assigned to it. But any data you put into it has to be something, right? It is, is it a number? Is it a boolean? Is it a string? I just told variable X to be boogers and told it to say boogers, and it said reference code error, can't find variable boogers. Well, did you well, did you use boogers? Was there quotation marks around the boogers? Nope. You haven't no, taught so me to words, do that yet. Right. So in other words, you are looking for a variable called boogers, which you haven't created. Oh. Hey, that's a good way to learn. Look, it says boogers now. All right. Yeah. Okay. So the three hidden under the hood types. So, okay. There's actually four. Okay, now let me let me back up. <laughs> a variable can hold one of two things. It can either hold a literal value or it can hold a reference to an object. Now, the reference to an object bit, I'm going to say park that for at least two, maybe longer installments. Okay, We're going good, to come back to those. those. They're not hard. They're really cool, but they're they're we're, they're just not we're not yet. ready. <laughs> we're we're not ready. We're just okay. not ready for them yet. So park the variable. So that means that as far as we're concerned for today, a variable contains a literal value. And literal values come in three types. Number, Boolean, string. Hmm. So everything is a number, a Boolean, or a string. So our numbers, we have already seen that we can write our number as just four. We can also have a negative number, so we can have a minus 42. (laughs) We can have decimal numbers, so we can have 3.1415. We can have negative decimal numbers, minus 4.56. Shouldn't it be 3.1416? Sorry. Go ahead. If you like. (laughs) Maybe I wasn't going for pi. (laughs) Um, We can also express our numbers in hexadecimal, should we feel like it. And we do so by prefixing the hex number with 0x. So anything starting in 0x is considered a hexadecimal number. So 0x, 0xff is the hexadecimal number FF, otherwise known to you and me as 16 times 16, 256. Okay. Is that white or black? Well, if you have three of them on all three channels, then it's white. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So you can also, if you're a physics or an engineer person, so in other words, this should make perfect sense, you you can have exponents. Okay. So you can say 2.4E4, which means or 2.41 E4, as I have in the show notes, which means 2.41 by 10 to the power of 4. Okay. So E something means by 10 to the power of, and that can be negative. So you can have minus 2.3 E minus 3. So you can raise it by the power of minus 3. In other words, it's a very teeny tiny number. Okay. And that's it. Okay. So there are number literals. Okay. So they're all very sensible. They look like you'd expect you can have exponents by using the letter E and you can have hex by using the special code 0x. Booleans doesn't get any simpler than this. The letters T or UE represent the <laughs> value true and the letters F-A-L-S-E represent the value false. And notice there are no quotation marks yeah, around it. These are literal that. values. Okay. okay. So JavaScript has a built-in concept of truth and so, a built-in concept of falsity. So true and false, it's as though you typed zero and one. You're not, those aren't, yes. those aren't variable, those aren't, uh, those aren't text strings. Like those boogers. aren't strings, those are 
values that JavaScript knows about. And if you look at the list of uh, reserved words, those two of those words are true and false because you can't use them because they already have a meaning. They mean true or false. Okay, cool. So most of those reserved words are either something they might use in the future or they are something that already has a meaning. So true and false already have a meaning. And then our last type is strings. And JavaScript is pleasantly liberal about these. So you can wrap a string with double quotation marks or you can wrap a string with single quotation marks and you should do whichever one is easiest. Now, this is very powerful. If your string contains single quotation marks, if you use double quotation marks to wrap it, you don't have to escape anything. Oh, okay. So, well, like when you're when you're writing, that's true, right? You can put a quote inside double quotes and then if someone else is quoted inside that quote that's single quote so that makes sense it does make sense and it's actually very very useful however if you have a string that contains both double and single quotes you have no choice you're going to have to escape one of them and the escape character is the backslash wait wait so wait backslash... you just finished saying i didn't have to escape it no no you if you right if you have a string that only contains single quotes well then wrap it in double quotes and all as well if you have a string that only contains double quotes wrap it in single quotes and all as well but if you have a string that contains both well then one of them has to be escaped okay yeah I, your example explains that hearing it doesn't make it hit my head but i think you're talking about like using an apostrophe in the word uh it is it's yeah so the example line four there of the sample code there says inside so the string is he replied but it's not always that simple and the whole thing has to be wrapped in something, so I've wrapped the whole thing in single quotes, which means the the outer quotation. But he's not always, but it's not always that simple. That can be in double quotes, and they're okay because our string is wrapped in singles, so those doubles are fine. But the word "its" now has a single quote. You can't have a single quote inside something wrapped in single quotes because that means end of the single quote, and then you have garbage. So you got to backtick it or backslash it. So backslash it, single quote inside the single quoted string, and now all is well with the universe. Okay. Okay. I think I got Basically, it. Basically, if I didn't put the backslash there, that would end the string. Because the string goes until it meets another single quote. Okay. Oh, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Okay. So if you need to protect the single quote from being considered the end, you backslash it. And the same goes for double quote. If you want to include an actual backslash, you have the backslash backslash. <laughs> right? So backslash backslash becomes backslash. And there are two other escape characters I'm going to mention. Backslash N means new line, and backslash T means tab, should you need to include those in your strings. Oh, wow. That's hard to read. So the line he's written says, uh, var E equals, quote, line one, backslash N, line two, all cuddled. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because otherwise you have a space on the end of your line. Yeah, space two slash N, line three. Oh, I should have put a space there for full... Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's okay, perfectly it's valid. Enough, as it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a valid string. It just looks a bit sloppy. Yeah. Okay. I hope I don't have to use that one. I'll never remember that one. Backslash yeah, n new line. It's not that common actually, because generally speaking, if you're using JavaScript in the browser, what you actually need is not backslash n. What you actually need is open angle bracket b or slash close angle bracket. Yeah. So you'll find yourself doing that more often than you will, and the reason that the double quote, single quote thing is so amazingly cool. If you want to write a HTML tag, HTML uses double quotes for everything. So IMG, double quote, or alt equals, double quote, something, double quote. So if you use single quotes at the JavaScript end, then all the HTML double quotes can just go in there without any backslashes. Okay. 
So that that's why it's so useful that it does that it does it that way. Okay, so there are three types of variable. Not all that difficult, really. Numbers, booleans, and strings. Okay, I'm ready to go. I can program now. <laughs> you can. I have the left do, training you, wheel on. <laughs> yes. Let's put a right one next to it. Um, so the next thing to be okay, you can now store some information and you can get it back. Not all that exciting. You probably want to manipulate it in some way. You want to do something to the values in A and B or in X and Y or in boogers and something else. Boogers and nose. I don't know. Maybe you want to minus those from each other. Um, so operators operate on variables. So we are going to learn about two types of operator today. We're going to learn about more operators next time. But for today, we're going to keep it to strings and arithmetic which you love so very much. So the only operator we're going to learn about the string is what's called string concatenation. I like concatenation. They've got that in, uh, that's in Excel. Yes. So string concatenation means sticking two strings together. So we have there a nice little example that before you run it, I would like you to guess what will happen. So we have pbs.say, you're going to have a bowl, you've got to have a bowl of plus or a bowl plus of Cocoa Pops. What do you think will happen? Well, you've got to have a bowl of Cocoa Pops that's going to be printed out. So then we have var vessel equals bowl, var food equals Cocoa Pops. Then we have pbs.say... <laughs> Sorry, you're here to show notes say Cocoa Poops. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's fix that. <laughs> I wish we named the show because it would so be called Cocoa Poops. <laughs> I'm going to leave that in. Do you know something? I'm just going to leave that in. Do it, do it. Okay, so <laughs> the next line is the string, you've pbs.say, you've got to have a plus vessel plus of plus food, which, what do you think that's going to print out? A bowl of Cocoa Puffs or Cocoa Ex Poops, depending on it. Or Pops in this case. Yeah. That's what the, vari the, var the variable food has. And then we say on the next line, vessel equals cup, food equals coffee. So notice we have not put the word var in front here because we've already declared vessel and food. All right. So we're just giving them a new value. We're not recreating them. Oh, we're just giving them that's a new how value. you change the value. Okay. Exactly. So we're changing the value to cup and coffee. And then we have exactly the same line of code, but this time it's going to print out, you got to have a cup of coffee. So if you copy and paste those nine lines and run them, what you will see is you got to have a bowl of cocoa poops, followed by you got to have a bowl of cocoa pops, followed by you got to have a cup of coffee. So will, will it do, um, will it do all of them? Yes. Okay. Let me figure out how to copy. There we go. By the way, while you were talking, I made mine say pick boogers, but okay. You got to pick boogers. Yeah, that works. <laughs> Vessel is probably not the best name for that, but okay. <laughs> you've got to have a bowl of cocoa poops. You've got to have a bowl of cocoa pops. You've got to have a cup of coffee. It worked. Okay, I yeah. see. So you you did some operators that you haven't or Wait, oh, that was just concatenation. So just plusing them. We're just plusing them. We have actually already met one operator, which we're now going to call an operator. We didn't call it one before. Equals is an operator. It's the operator for assigning the value to a variable. And I'm going to do another one of the things where I want you to get into a habit that for now, you're just going to have to take me on faith that this is a really good idea. But next week, you're going to see why this is a really good idea. So get into the habit of reading mentally the line x equals 4 as x is assigned the value of four so you, don't say do you not when you talk 
when you think, when you're scanning through the code, your little mental thing, or when you say it either in your head or out loud, say x is assigned the value of 4, not under any circumstances whatsoever x equals 4. Don't okay. say it that way in your head. Are you going to tell us why? Because there is an operator to check for equality that is oh. really called equals, but it's not the symbol equals. Okay. So if you get into your head a equals 4, you will break you will write if statements that don't work. Because your brain has just associated equals with that symbol. It should not. You want to make absolutely sure that an equal sign on its own is associated with is assigned equal to. Every time you see one, your brain should say is assigned equal to. And then it makes no sense to say if x is assigned equal to 4. That'll go, what? No, that's not what I meant. What I meant was if x is equal to 4. So we're going to meet another operator that you're going to stick into your brain as is equal to. And this one as is assigned the value of. Okay. And then when you Our look at an if statement. Is assigned the value wrong. of 4. Okay. And you'll yell at me if you catch me saying it otherwise. So we get in the habit. Precisely. Okay. And it, it's not easy because the symbol is equals. And you've yeah. been learning to say it that way forever, but don't say it. So basically, what you, this operator is, is, assigned the, is assigned the value of, and the other operator is, is equal to. So I'm going to make you remember them as long things so that you keep the two separate. Because the single most common programming mistake is that you're trying to check for equality. And what you end up doing is not checking for equality. It's creating equality. <laughs> okay. And that will make really weird bugs. Okay. Is this equal to zero? Well, it is now. <laughs> I can see how that would be annoying. Yep. You've proved your okay. existence theory. Okay, so we've learned that the, the, the assignment operator is the symbol equals, but it's the assignment operator. So think of it as assignment, assignment, assignment. We've learned to concatenate strings. So now let's go do some arithmetic. Most of the operators in Java take two inputs. And if you think about it, that makes sense. Like the assignment operator has, well, don't, they're not necessarily inputs. They act on two things. So the assignment operator takes a value and shoves it into whatever's on the other side of the equals. So that's two things. Four goes into X. The plus operator concatenates two strings. So one string and another string. So it's working on two things. So the vast majority of them work on two things. When you add things, you're working on two things. When you subtract things, you're working on two things. Mm -hmm. There are two operators I'm going to tell you about that work on one thing and mm -hmm. one thing only. And those are the operators plus plus and minus minus, which you should remember as increment and decrement. Oh. Would you like to guess what plus plus x, or sorry, what x plus plus might do? Increments four by one? Right. Okay. So if you're something? looking at our code example. We have var x equals four, pbs.say x, x plus plus, pbs.say x. So you think that the output will be four or five. Right. Okay, well, let's, let's run it and see what the output is. Okay, it's four and then five on the next line. Yeah, we so then there's CBS that say four, PBS that say five, yeah. Right. So, plus, so X plus plus means X is equal to X plus one. Okay, why wouldn't it's you just really say short... X plus one? Yeah, but you're also, you're not just adding them, you're also putting the value back into the variable. Oh, okay. I'm glad I asked that so question because that's completely different, got you. Yeah, so it's X equals X plus one. Yeah, the value of x has been changed by this operator being applied. Okay. So we have a bunch of the expected operators. We have plus for addition. We have the minus symbol for subtraction. We have the star symbol for multiplication. The forward slash symbol for division. The percentage symbol for something called modulus. Now, how much explaining do I have to do on modulus? Mm, I've heard the word before a very long time ago. 
okay, then I will I will explain from scratch. So if I take one number modulus the other, what I do is I divide one number by the other, and instead of telling you the answer, I tell you the remainder instead. Say that again? I divide the two numbers, but I don't give you back the, the result of the division. I give you back the remainder. So I do it as an oh. integer division. So, so three divided by two, you'd, you'd give me 0.5? I give you one. Wait. Two, div- two modulus two. I, w- I said three divided by two. That'd be 1.5, okay. right? Okay, but as an integer division, that would actually be two. Oh, but I'm not giving you the two. I'm not giving you the result of the division. I'm giving you the the. If I use the percent symbol, I'm giving you the remainder. Oh, so the let, remainder let me, is one. Got you. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you can use this to figure out. So if you're taking yourself at a modulus of two, the only possible answers are zero and one. So one modulus two is one. Two modulus two is zero. Three modulus two is one. Four modulus two is zero. Are you seeing what this is doing? Five no. modulus two is one. Six no. modulus two is zero. Got you. No. No Even numbers modulus zero, odd numbers modulus one. I, okay. <laughs> Don't. It, it, I can hear you, but it's not stuck in my brain. Is why I care or what that means. If you want to do alternating stripes on something, it's actually the modulus that lets you do that. Okay. So if the modulus is even, we use one color. If the modulus is if the modulus is zero, we use one color. If the, the modulus, modulus is one, can be yep. seven. No. Well, no, you no. said the modulus so, was the remainder. Right. So seven modulus two can only ever be zero or one. Hang on. Okay. Hang on. Seven modulus two is exactly one because it's an odd wait, wait, number. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no. Okay. Wait. That you're using modulus two. I'm saying the mo- if the modulus is the remainder, there there are possible outcomes of modulus that are not one one and two. Okay, but the mod if you take modulus two, the only possible outcomes are zero one one. If you take modulus three, the only possible outcomes are zero one and two. So it's some number modulus another. So seven modulus two means divide seven by two and tell me the remainder. So seven divided okay. by two is six. Remainder one. So you only always use modulus two. Well, no, so 7 modulus 3 is also 1, because 7 divided by 3 is 2, remainder 1. But you can, ha- but you can have a modulus 7. So you can have 7 modulus 8. 7 modulus 8 is 7. Right, so, so why are you saying only, the only possible outcomes are 0 and 1? No, no, of a modulus 2. <sighs> so anything modulus 2 is going to be 0 or 1. Anything modulus 3 is going to be 0, 1, or 2. Okay, 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 good. I thought everything could only be modulus... No. Sorry, okay. sorry, my bad. Okay, so why um, do I, why do I want this? I mean, wh- how do you what? <laughs> we are going to use it more often than you think. So, an example is something called a circular buffer. <laughs> Let's talk about circular buffers, since that's what's happened to my Mac earlier when we said we had a slight audio problem. Okay, so a buffer is going to be indexed. Let's say it's a fifteen long buffer. So you're going to have buffer position one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, up to fifteen. Mm-hmm. Although in computer science, we're going to count them from zero, so it's actually zero to 14. Okay. And then you want to go around the buffer again. If you modulus by the size of the buffer, you will never fall off the buffer. So if you go to position 32 on a 15 circular buffer, that means 15, 32 divided one. by 15, whatever the remainder is, it means you go around once and end up on position two. Well, so the modulus means you'll always stay in your buffer. Zero, but yeah. Yeah. So just it'll always, the remainder will always be somewhere in the buffer. So any number modulus the size of your buffer gets you the position in the circular buffer. And you can okay. never fall off that position because you've modulus it by the size of the buffer. Okay. 
it's straight. It's surprisingly useful. I, I remember my first day of computer science and being told about modulus and thinking, oh, that's great. Never going to use that. <laughs> and I did. And I do. Okay. I, I, I just want to put a stake in the sand right now in the ground right here that you will mm-hmm. have to explain this to me probably the first seven or eight times we use it. That is absolutely fine. Okay. I'm perfectly happy Good. to do so. The last one is one I just adore. Most programming languages do not have this as an operator, but Wait, JavaScript you does. Didn't let, you didn't tell us what the symbol was for modulus. I know. Oh, okay. Oh, modulus is percent. There you sure go. Okay. So 7% 2 is 7 modulus 2. Okay. So the next one I want to talk about is star star, which is like multiplication only more, because what it actually is, is raising to the power. So 2 star star 5 is 2 to the power of 5, which I think is 32. That one makes sense. Yeah. So it's like multipli- multiplying more. So star star. And most programming languages don't have this as a native operator, which is why it's one of the nice things about JavaScript that it has star star. So those are our basic mathematical operators. Now, every operator has a precedence. In other words, what comes first? If I say var x equals 4 plus 2 multiplied by 3, do you add the numbers and then do the multiplication? Or do you do the multiplication and then do the addition? It'll give you a different answer. Mm-hmm. Which is... so. At, okay, well... As we learned in school, you multiply and divide before you add and subtract. Right. So the precedence for multiplication is higher than the precedence for addition. Okay. And the operator with the absolute lowest precedence is assignment. In other words, we do all the calculations and only when we're finished do we do an assignment. What was assignment again? That was like saying this answer goes into four? I'm not allowing you to call equals. So if you say var x equals in a whole big long equation, you really do want the last thing that happens to be that the final answer is what gets put into x. Yeah. So that's why assignment operators have the lowest precedence. They will happen last. All the rest of the stuff will figure itself out. And at the very end, oh, and I'm going to assign it over here. So I was never 100% sure how that would always work. So I just used a lot of parentheses. Okay, good. So when you want to enforce your will, or when you're not quite sure what the rules are, you can use parentheses in JavaScript to group things, and that way the parenthesis is like the opposite of the assignment. Parentheses have the highest precedence. So they, oh, okay. They will get evaluated down to a single value first before everything else happens. That's why you can use them for grouping things. So they it's good practice? Yeah, well, I would say if you know the rules, just use the rules. But if you don't know the rules, stick in the parentheses, and then even if you're wrong, you're still right. <laughs> I think I'll go with that. We don't want to fill okay. that little buffer in my brain. With too so much. most most of the time, the rules of mathematics win. The only weird exception is that the increment and decrement operators are, have a higher precedence than multiplication and division. Which increment, decrement, that was the plus plus and minus the minus. The plus plus happens before the multiplication, division, and before the adding and the subtracting, which mm. is counterintuitive. Interesting. Okay. All the rest, though, perfectly sensible. And as I say, you stick the brackets around it and ta-da, just does its thing. Okay. Now, I also want to tell you that there are more assignment operators than just the plain old equal sign. There are shortcut operators that will save you an awful lot of typing. And so I have written them out as this translates to this. So they're always of the form something equals. So x plus equals y is a short way of saying x equals x plus y. What? X equals X plus Y. You write X plus... Okay. No, X I can't. I'm not doing y. that. Really? <laughs> no. You don't have to. It's entirely optional, right? You can just write the long way. X equals X well, plus Y. Well, how can X equal X plus Y? No, X plus equals Y. 
So you're assigning the value, you're making the value of X be the value of X plus the value of Y. I just don't like that. That isn't an equation. You can't have that equation. But it's not an equation. It's an assignment. That, you are saying why the new is value zero? of X. I know. It's a, it is not equals. We learned that. Right, exactly. It is assignment. X plus Y is being assigned to X. The val- Okay, so X is being assigned the value of the sum of X and Y. In other words, oh, I have right. Oh. I have incremented X by Y. So if X was 4 and Y was 3, then the value in X is 7. Okay, two years from now, I'll come back and start using the shortcuts, but I'm not doing that now. Okay, well, they are entirely optional. There's also a minus equals, star equals, slash equals, percent equals, and star star equals. They okay. all do the same thing. Okay. They're shortcuts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I believe you. Okay, now, something I'm kind of slightly surprised you haven't prodded me at yet, because there's something weird has just happened here. I told you that the operator for concatenation was plus. Right. I also told you that the operator for addition was plus. So when I use a plus, what am I doing? I don't know. I guess if, yeah. it's, if, if they're strings, you're, you're squashing them together into one mm-hmm. thing. And if they're, uh, if they're regular numbers, what do you call regular numbers? Numbers. Number, oh, thank you. Uh, if they're numbers, then they get added together. What if it's a string and a number? Shut up. <laughs> no, not shut up. It's very important. The rule is... If they're both strings, sorry, let me say that again, because I spent, I got this wrong in my first version of the show notes. Um, if there is a string on either side, so if there is at least one string, you will get concatenation. So you can say the price of this is dollar symbol plus five, and you will get the price of this is five dollars. Okay. Which is actually say that's sensible. Right. Well, it can't do plus if one of them's a string, so it should follow the string rule first, I would think. Yeah. So you can argue it's very sensible, but the point is if there's a string on either side of the plus symbol, then the plus symbol is concatenation. If that is not true, then the plus symbol is addition. So what is the value of true plus one? Well, that's is it true not one? A str- that's not a string or a number. Right, so if it's not a, if there's not a string on either side, then we add them as numbers. Therefore, I now need to tell you something about true and uh, false. You have to tell me the numbers that true and false are. True, when you convert true to a number, true becomes one. And okay. when you convert true to false to a number, false becomes zero. So what's really going on under the hood is that JavaScript is doing type conversions. So it's looking at it and going, are either of these two strings? Yes, they are. Okie dokie. Well, then whatever's on the other side here, I got to make it be a string too. And that's easy to do. By the way, on the other side, you mean on, uh, to the left or the right of the plus? Right. Yeah. Thank so you. if your string comes first, then you care about what's on the other side. And gotcha. if your string comes last, it's a mirror image. of It's symmetrical around the plus. So if either one of those two is a string, then JavaScript says, okay, well, I got to make the other one a string too. And that's always easy to do, because what's the string value of the digit 4? Well, it's a 4. What's the string value of true? It's the letter T-R-U-E. So it's really easy to send stuff to a string. So if it finds a string on either side, hunky-dory, fine. I'm going to convert them both to strings. I know how to do that. Wait, true can't be a string? Yes, it can. It can be the string T-R-U-E. That's how you turn true into a string. What? It's the letter T, then the letter R, then the letter oh, U, then the letter E. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. You're saying a, true plus, a T plus an R plus a U plus an E? Well, no. So, okay. So you have pbs.say, this is plus true. 
It now has to... It, oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Right? So this is, is a string. Therefore, the rule is I've got to make this a string concatenation. Okay. I now have to turn the other thing into a string. But what's the string for true? How's about T or U E? I would have expected it to say, uh, you know, the I forget which example you're using, but I would have expected it to, to return the value of one as the string, not not T R U E. But okay, no. So if you force a boolean to be a number, then it becomes zero or one, and if you force a boolean to become a string, then it becomes an English word. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so let us let us go through an exercise. So there is an example here that is thirteen lines long. So let us. One by one, let us think what we think we will see, and then we'll run it. So what do you think the result is of pbs.say 1 plus 2? I hope it says 3. You're correct. It will say 3. Okay. So now we're, we're adding, we're mixing things up very slightly. We're saying var x equals 4, var y equals 5, and then we're saying pbs.say x plus y. Well, they're not in quotes, so they're not strings when they're x's, so I'm hoping that's 9. Okay, well, what they are is actually dependent on the value. So we have given a number into the x and a number into the y, so they're both numbers, therefore it is indeed going to be 9. So var x could have been, quote, boogers, in which case... If var x was boogers, the output would have been boogers 5. Okay, good, good, good. That's what I thought. Okay, okay so far good. I haven't failed. Okay, so now we have a var z, and I'm giving it the string dollar symbol. So it's open quote, dollar, close quote. So the string okay. dollar symbol is being popped in there. Okay. So we're now saying pbs.say the price was dollar sign plus x. Ah, uh, you screwed up. Bad. That's four. <laughs> you wanted me to say dollar. Good. That was, that's probably is that right? Z. Anyway, yeah, no, it's fine. You're absolutely okay, right. Okay, but I got them both right. Z is pointless in this equation. <laughs> I don't think I ever used the variable z. Um, okay. Fine, though. Yeah, so that will do what you think because x okay. is four. So it will print out $4. All right. Now, here's one that may or may not trick you up. So let, what do you think the output is of pbs.say 4 plus open quote 5 close quote? So the 5 will have to be the... I Oh, man. That's either... I think it's going to be 45. It is going to be 4, 5, yeah. Because yeah, 4, 5. The string 45. 5 is a string. But it'll five, look like you know, 45. It'll look like 45, but it will actually be the string 4, 5. Okay. All right. And you can, I don't think you'll have a problem with the next one. Quote four plus quote five. It's got to be 45 again. Got to be four or five again. Okay. So what is the value of true plus false? Okay. So right now, neither one is a string. They're both Boolean. Correct. So it should be one. Absolutely right. One plus yeah. zero. So there are no strings. So we're forcing them to be numbers. So we force true to a number one. We force false to a number zero. Okay. One plus zero. One. Okay. True plus four. So true has got to turn into a number there of one plus four is five? Correct. False plus four. Four. Correct. So now we have var a equals true. And now we're having a mm -hmm. is as a string plus a. So that was inside quotes plus mm -hmm. a. Okay, that's a string. True. A is true is what it would type. T-R-U-E. Absolutely yeah. right. So let's copy and paste it in. And then we will know... I didn't we were miss right, any but of I can tell part. you now. You I, need, I get right. a gold star, don't I? You absolutely do. Absolutely <laughs> do. And the rest of you listening had no faith in me, I bet. So three nine, the price was four dollars. Forty five forty five one five four A is true. Yay. Whether I'll remember so, that next week is a whole nother Oprah, but uh, so far I think I ah, follow that. Okay. So so far what we're doing here is we're letting JavaScript decide. Mm -hmm. What if we would like to assert ourselves? 
what if we're, I don't care what you think this is. I want you to treat this number as a string. Or I want you to treat this string as a number. I want you to make this thing be a Boolean. I, I, I have my wishes and I shall have them adhered to. <laughs> we can do that. Okay. And there are four functions which do that. The function string with a capital S will turn any value into a string. Hmm. So if you want to concatenate something that might be a number, let's say that there are two things you want to concatenate and you really do want them concatenated, but you're afraid that they could conceivably both be numbers. Well, you can force them to concatenate by saying string X plus string Y, and then they're guaranteed to be strings, so they will be concatenated. Oh, okay. Okay, so you could say... Uh, if uh, X was assigned the value of four, Y was assigned the value of five, you could say string uh, parentheses string X four plus string Y. Plus, oh, right. String, string X plus string Y, and it would return the value of 45 instead of nine. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you, you've said, I don't care what you think this is. I am telling you now, this is a string. Okay. Now, another one then is parse int which will take a value and try to make it, if it can, into an integer, a whole number. So parseInt will take a value and try to make a whole number. I'm going to tell you what it does when it fails in a minute. ParseFloat will try to make a decimal number, or a floating point number, as okay. it's also called. And Boolean with a capital B will turn any value into true or false. Okay, so what happens if you try to parse in boogers? Right? There is okay. a special value in JavaScript. It's one of the reserved words that you're not allowed to use. It is the word capital N, lowercase a, capital N, which most people will say is nan, and it stands for not a number. Okay. So if you ask JavaScript to do something numbery to something that it just can't make sense of, it will return not a number. Mm. So if you say boogers plus four, the answer is, well, if boogers is a string, the answer will be, okay, so if you force boogers to be a number, you will get back nan. Nan plus four is nan. Nan any, If you put nan into any operator, you will get back nan. So nan divided by zero is nan. Nan plus four is nan. Nan is, once you have a nan in there, it's always nan. Nan, nan, not a number. Exactly. And the okay. other place where nan comes into being is if you divide by zero by accident. Ah. So four divided okay. by zero equals nan. Huh. Which is true, right? So well, nan is infinity, infinity or not a number. Okay, infinity is not a number. Okay. Yeah. That's how JavaScript has decided to implement the laws of mathematics. So nan is a special value, not a number. So if you do something silly like, now, most of the time, parseInt is pretty good. However, parseInt doesn't do English. So you parseInt the string F-O-U-R, you do not get... The, you do not get the new number four, you get nan. So wait, parseInt was converting a value to a whole number. So yeah. F-O-U-R isn't any kind of a number, so it's got to come back with nan. It comes back with nan. Now, if you put in the string four as a digit, it will come back as the number four. Also, if you put in 3.1415, it'll come back as the number three, because you've told it, I want a whole number, please. Okay. Now, parseInt $4 will give you nan, but parseInt four space things will give you four, which is annoying. <laughs> that is how it works. So it reaches into the string and goes, hey, I found a number. So I'm going to keep going until I stop finding a number, and I'm going to give you back whatever I got until I stop finding a number. So if but it if said it, parseInt uh, thing space four, it would also find the four? No, 
because the first thing would have meant would have been a T, and it would okay. go, oh, no idea, none. Oh, okay, okay. Which is what so it doesn't keep going until it finds a four, uh, a number. Nope. It if starts and it goes, are you a number? Oh, well, yes, you are. I'm going to keep going, and then I'm going to stop when I run out. Okay. So dollar four is nan, and four things is four. <laughs> I wish it. I wish it were cleverer. Okay, but it isn't. So that's what. That's how it works. And every value can collapse into true or false, but we're not going to look at how that works until next week because, or next time because that's, there's rules. There's rules for that. Okay. Um, we know that zero, a true collapsed to zero, one, one, but what does boogers collapse to? Is boogers true or false? We, next time we will find next out. Next time we um, will know whether boogers are true or false. <laughs> and they, I promise you they will be one or the other because every single value collapses to true or false. So we now have another one of our little examples. So, we're going to make two variables called four, called x and y, and we're going to give them the, num- the, va- the numbers 4 and 2 as values. So var x equals 4, var y equals 2. And so the default behavior, if you do a pbs.say of x plus y, will be? 6. Yes. And now we're going to force concatenation. So we say pbs.say string x plus string y, and that will give us? 42. 42. Now we're going to create two more variables called a and b. We're going to make them equal to the string 4 and the string 2. So now what's our default behavior if we say a plus b? It's got to be 42. It's got to be 42. And now we can do the opposite. We can force addition. We can say parsint a plus parsint b Ah, will give us? 6. 6. So if you copy and paste those eight lines of code, what you should get is uh, 6, 42, 42, 6. (laughs) Some nice symmetry there. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, what I love about these examples, Bart, is, um, as I've said 86 times, I will forget, but by you having these examples, I can come back and and re- and look at these and go, oh, yeah, that's how that works. And also, notice I've commented the examples. You have? Where? I have. It's a line four. String x, string y, slash, slash, force concatenation. Wait, Where? Line four of the example, pbs.say string x plus string y semicolon slash slash force concatenation. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. I caught up <laughs> with our uh, single line comment technique that we learned. With our single line comment technique, which we is what you learned you're... a lot so far, and I'm not lost yet. Well, okay, well, I have, I have one, one more very small smidgen to add. I'm going to explain another one of these reserved words that you've Uh-oh. been told you can't use for variable names which is the reserved word undefined, U-N-D-E-F-I-N-E-D, undefined. Undefined is the special value for no value at all. (laughs) But you can't use the string with nothing in it because that is a string. The empty string is a string. The number zero is the number zero. So actual total and utter nothingness is the value undefined. Why do we need nothingness? Sound like a physicist. Okay, let us say that we have never declared the variable a, and then we type pbs.say a. What is the value of a? Undefined. A is undefined. Okay. Exactly. So our example here is pbs.say a. We didn't declare a, therefore a is undefined. Then we say var a equals 42. pbs.say a, 42. Var a equals undefined. pbs.say a, it's back to being undefined. So we can uncreate a variable by setting it to being undefined. But more importantly, we can also, right now we're dealing with simple named variables, but sometimes we're going to have more complicated data structures to navigate, and checking whether or not something is undefined is going to become very important. Hmm. So right now, 
you're very unlikely to bother declaring A and then set it to being undefined. But you will see that undefinedness is going to become very important. All right. Well, I believe you. And next time on Programming by Stealth, are, is boogers true or false? Exactly. A little bit more than that. So learning how to st- had learning that variables exist and how to create them and that you can do operations to them that is one of the fundamental building blocks of every single programming language so we have learned a very significant lego brick which is we've learned to do that brick in javascript but that same brick exists in every other programming language so when you go to learn another language in the future you don't have to learn the concept you just have to say okay so what is the java assignment operator what is the Pascal assignment operator? What is the C assignment operator? You don't have to learn the concept of assignment. You then can ask, well, what is the multiplication operator in this language? So, so the okay. concepts are the same. The only thing that varies is the syntax. Okay. And so next it's sort of time, like learning different languages and you, uh, you, you say, okay, well, I know uh, nouns have to be feminine or masculine in this language. Which, well, how do you do that in, in Spanish? It's an A and an O. Exactly, exactly that kind of thing. So what we have learned here is one of the fundamental building blocks that is common across all languages. The How they do it will be different, but they will do it. They will definitely do it. And when we want to learn another language, we now have the vocabulary to go and search the Googles and say, what is the addition operator in Objective-C? What is the assignment operator in something else? I really like this because people are always saying, well, what programming language should I learn first? It's like, well... You, what you want to learn is how to be able to adapt to different languages because by the time you're done learning, oh, Apple just invented Swift or whatever it is, right? There, there's going to exactly. be something new always, always, always. And don't become the best guy at that one language because it's going to change. Exactly. So the, the very first course I did at university was called CS 101 Principles of Computer Programming. And so the language we learned was Java, but all the way through, the lecturer was constantly saying to us, okay, so this is how you do this in Java. This is, this is the thing, and this is how you do it in Java. This is the thing, and this is how you do it in Java. And then the next year when we went to learn C, it was just, okay, so you know that thing you learned about last year? Well, here's how you do it in C. Cool. And so the th- we have now learned a thing. And next week, I'm going to teach you another really important thing. It's the concept of branching or decision-making. Mm. So what we need for that is the ability to compare two values. Is this bigger than this or smaller than this? Is this odd or is this even? Those, those kind of things. There are comparisons. And based on those comparisons, do we do one thing or do we do another thing? In other words, the if statement. Oh, man, I want that now. Can I read ahead? I haven't written it yet. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> All right, Bart. Well, I know this went pretty long, but it was uh, it was never head exploding. Uh, good. So this is good. This is good. I think I, I might remember some of this, but uh, the notes are so good over on bartb.ie slash PBS. Exactly. Oh, good. And as I say, we're going to keep going at this kind of, at this kind of pace. I'm going to give you a Lego brick at a time. And then before you know it, you've built a car. Nice. Okay. Well, I think this is the point where I'm supposed to say until next time, happy computing. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is an unsponsored show, so if you like what you hear, you can help support the show by using the Amazon or App Store affiliate links you'll find over at podfeet.com. I love feedback, so if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com. If you want to join in the conversation with other listeners, you can go over to our Google Plus community at podfeet.com slash Google Plus or our Facebook group over at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.